you know you have a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. Season 4, Episode 10. Today's podcast is brought to you by BookLaunchMentor.com, and if you've ever wanted to hold your book in your hands, just head on over there and find some mentoring and some free resources and also some products that you can buy that will help you launch your book, write your book, all of that. I've actually had a lot of people who have gotten book contracts and agents because they've used my nonfiction or my fiction proposal tutorial. So if you want to write a killer (laughs) or awesome proposal that will change the trajectory of your career and bring you an agent or an editor or a book publisher, uh, check those out because they're inexpensive and they work. And I probably, I I should have gathered statistics, but I think it's about 50 people now have have either gotten agenting or um, a book contract because of it. So check that out. Uh, I would also appreciate it if you could write a quick little review to the three sentences on iTunes. That would be so great. And I would sing a song. (laughs) Be so happy because I'm longing to see this podcast grow, not for my sake, because I don't have, you know, paid advertising on here or anything, but just for the sake of expanding the kingdom and expanding the message of the Restory message. Also, if you have a little Restory you want to share, go to marydemuth.com. And on the right-hand side, you'll find a little microphone. And there you can record up to four minutes of your little story, your microcosm story. would love to have it and put it at the end of each episode. So go ahead and do that if you would like. Today, I am welcoming Amy Graham. Now, you may uh, recognize her last name. She's married to Aaron Graham, who had an amazing story that he shared with us about basically living in two war zones and what his growing up was like and his faith. Amy shares a different story today. She's going to talk about her own journey of adopting two children. And it's, it's an unusual story. And I think that it's really going to maybe mess with your paradigms and help you to see just the beauty of what adoption is. So without further ado, here is Amy. Hey everyone, it's Mary DeMuth with The Restory Show, and today I have Amy Graham with me. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So Amy, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and who you are, and all all the dirt, no, <laughs> just all the stuff. <laughs> well, I grew up in Huntington, West Virginia, I lived there for 23 years of my life and even went to college in my hometown at Marshall University. Then I had always felt God calling me to ministry, even as a little girl. And I ended up in seminary across the country in San Francisco, where I um, studied Masters of Theology and then um, went on to New England to do campus ministry for a bit. And that's where I met my husband. And we ended up unintentionally planning a church in Boston, um, <laughs> which is an interesting story. In planting itself. a church. Yeah. Oops. And then, uh, yeah. and then we, after about six years there, we moved to DC and that's where I live now. And we planted a church in DC, intentionally planted a church in DC about seven years ago. And I am on staff at our church. I'm the pastor of spiritual care and we live in DC with our two kids. And that's, who I am and what I'm doing. That's awesome. So I'm assuming that since you went to seminary, that sometime in your childhood, you met Christ. (laughs) Is that true? I did. (laughs) I did meet Jesus. 
you know, I have an interesting experience with God. I knew from a very early age that I wanted to be in relationship with Jesus, even like from age four. But it was about age eight when I kind of made that decision and decided to follow Christ, got baptized. I I remember talking to the pastor and I knew exactly what baptism meant as much as an eight-year-old can. And then as I got older, I realized that, you know, being in relationship with God meant something a little bit deeper than just going to heaven. And I feel like my relationship with God expanded and grew and um, over my teen years and college years and certainly has continued to grow. So it's been a um, continual process, I guess. And so when you were on campus again and you met your husband, was he younger than you or how did that work? Or were you both the same age? We were not on campus. I was doing campus ministry. Ministry, okay. And he was doing some church planting in Boston. So we were about an hour apart from each other physically. And we met through where I was. I was in Worcester, Massachusetts, and there wasn't a very vibrant young adult uh, ministry for me to be a part of beyond the campus ministry that I was doing. So I would go into Boston, which was about an hour away and get to know, I got to know him that way. And uh, we headed off and he is younger than I am, but that was not intentional. <laughs> that just happened. It just ha- he just happened to be younger than you were. <laughs> he just happened to be younger than I am. So. Yeah. And for the Restory listeners, her husband is Aaron Graham and he was, uh, he was interviewed earlier in the year. So go check out his story because he has a pretty crazy growing up story that really none of us can beat. So He does. That's true. Yeah. Not many of us were fleeing war-torn countries or anything like that. So what story do you want to share today with, with the Restory listeners? Well, I feel like the stories that are near and dear to my heart are related to adoption in our life, because that is the thing that makes me come alive the most when I talk about it. And, and so I thought I would share with you the story of how adoption happened for our family and how I am even in the process of it being restored because it has changed and shifted as we have um, started this journey. So I thought I would share that. So how did that all begin? (laughs) So it's interesting. Just shortly after I was baptized, when I was eight years old, I remember standing in my bedroom and having this encounter with God, just in my spirit. Like, I feel like God spoke to me and I was thinking, I remember thinking about being older and having a family and what that would look like. And I knew in that moment, God spoke and said, one day you will adopt. And as an eight-year-old, I just had this childlike faith of like, okay, well, then that's actually going to happen. I'm going to be an adoptive mom at some point in my life. And so fast forward to when Aaron and I started dating on our very first date, I remember telling him or asking him, how do you feel about adoption? Because I was like, you know, if he isn't okay with this, then we don't really need to go on a second date because I was, <laughs> I was already in the mindset of this is somebody that I might see myself marrying. Well, thankfully for him, he was at least open to the idea of it, or at least talking about it. So that earned him a second date. And uh, <laughs> it's a meritorious and, transaction. So <laughs> exactly. And so then we were married about a year after we met, which is quick. But we knew that that was it was like, if you know, you know, and we're going to do this. So we got married. And then about five years in, well, even before that, we we had started this church in Boston, and it was very much an urban 
church, mostly poor African Americans who attended our church there. I was very much involved with the youth of the community, and we lived in the community where we served, which was hard and also really formative for us. And while doing that, I got to know a lot of the kids in the community who were foster kids. And so my heart continued to grow and break for kids from hard places and kids that needed homes and needed families. And one day, Aaron and I were sitting down for dinner. It was a Friday evening, and we knew we were going to go see our kids, the youth kids from the church later that night. And for some reason, it came up over dinner that we, you know, how do you feel about potentially fostering? And I thought, well, you know, I would love for that to be part of our life. I was in social work school. So social work, the world of social work was very much on my mind all the time. And so I said, yeah, I think that sounds like something we should look into. That night, one of the 16-year-old boys from our neighborhood asked if he could stay with us for a little bit. And we were like, well, you know, sure. Tell us more about why you need a place to stay. And his grandmother was basically not letting him stay at her house anymore. And he needed a place to stay. Well, he also then said, by the way, can you come to court with me on Monday? And I was like, court. (laughs) Okay. So I end up going to court with him on Monday and I call Aaron from the courthouse and say, well, looks like we're foster parents. The court put him into our custody that day, which was not what I anticipated. So overnight, literally, uh, we became foster parents of a 16-year-old boy. And that was a very formative training ground for us as parents. But it it was hard. It was really hard. But we also really loved this kid and we did whatever we could to try to invest in his life. In addition to that, one of the other kids who was good friends with him and also part of our community who we'd known for a lot longer, I say he is our unofficially adopted child who is now 29, which is crazy. And he's still a part of our life. And I still consider him like my son um, in many ways. And so that was what introduced us to, you know, it went from theory or thinking about it to, oh, this is actually really life with having foster kids and having people in our lives that we're kind of responsible for that are teenagers that come from really hard places. And so once we had gone through all of that, we were starting to think about starting a family. And after not being able to get pregnant pretty quickly, you know, within a year or so, I just said, well, I guess that's done. We're going to start the adoption process. And so we started that process in 2007. And we, we were matched with a birth mom in May 2008, which is pretty quick. And we got to meet that birth mom and we just fell in love with her. This, at this point, we had already moved to Washington, D.C. And so we were starting our life here. And we got to meet her and she was fantastic. And the social workers say, you know, this is this is the best match that we've ever seen, you know. And well, anytime you hear that, now I know you yeah. should run yeah. and put your walls up. And Something's going to be wrong. Uh, Something's going wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and so in July, she had a baby boy and, you know, we got the call to say that she had had this baby and we were so excited But they said, you know, we'll call you back with more details. The next morning, she, the social worker called us again and basically said, 
she, the baby is healthy and everything is fine. The birth mother is having a really hard time with her decision. And in that moment, I knew this baby's not going to be ours. Uh, it was really hard. And so I, I went out, Aaron was still at work. I was out on our porch just praying and asking God, like, what, what do you want to teach me in this moment? Like, what do I, what should I be doing? I don't even know what to do. Um, we thought we were bringing a baby home. And now I know in my spirit, this baby's not going to be ours. And again, just as like when I was eight years old and God said, you're going to adopt one day, God spoke again. And I don't hear a word from the Lord very often, but God spoke again and said, your baby's coming from South Carolina. And I was like, what? And I had no connections to South Carolina. I, I didn't even tell Aaron this for weeks because I thought it was so crazy and ridiculous that I would hear that clearly from God. But I did start looking into adoption agencies in South Carolina. And I emailed an agency. I emailed three. One of them was a Christian agency. And I told them our story. The Christian agency returned my email. And then a week later, she emailed me again and just said, hey, I don't normally do this. But you're a social worker. You have ministry background. I have a birth mother who is going to have an African-American boy and I have no families to show. And I knew that was our son. So I overnighted all of our paperwork to her and gave her our book. And sure enough, about a week later, the birth mother had our book and another book to look at from a family who had just adopted and they weren't really ready to adopt again, but they were willing to be shown. And she chose our family. Our son, Elijah, was born the next day. Oh, my gosh. Wow. He came, he came home with us two days later. So, wow. So that is some of the story of our adoption. And so, yeah, I'll invite you to share ask questions or whatever. But that's some of the story. Yeah, I was just actually interviewing someone that has an adoption story as well. And she was talking about how you don't realize it going in, but you quickly learn that there is grief on all sides, that adoption is grief. And talk a little bit about what that felt like, even two days in, like fresh like that, like there's grief involved in that. Absolutely. And we felt that with we have two adopted children and we felt that with both of them. And, you know, even though our kids were placed with us pretty soon after their birth, the, you know, the birth mother, we met both of their birth mothers at the hospital. They're both going through trauma. And that's, it's really hard to navigate the emotions of being given a child that didn't come from your body, but came from someone else's. And they're just letting go of that child um, and releasing them into your care. I I can't hardly wrap my mind around it. I've never experienced that side of it. All I know is that it has to be so like the hardest thing they could ever go through. And then to think that each of our babies, you know, for nine months, they were with their birth mother, they had certain sounds and certain smells and certain experiences that I cannot replicate. And I don't, and there's nothing I can do to try to replicate that. And that for them is a grieving process that even now I see the effects of in my children through the trauma that they've experienced. And I don't think anything, I could have read a book about that, but I don't think anything could have really prepared me for 
the grief and the trauma that both um, people go through in that. And then my own grief and trauma of like, this is someone else's biological child that I'm bringing in to care for as my own. And there's some loss there, you know. And even though it's been really important for us, for our kids to maintain relationship with their birth families, and we try to see them once a year, that's really important to us. It's still incomplete. It's still broken in some ways. And so I, as a mom, have to carry that brokenness in a very sensitive, loving, selfless way at times. And I don't always feel like I want to be selfless, you know, I, 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 but I have to steward that brokenness um, really carefully. It's, it's interesting because adoption has been going on since babies have been born and it feels like, and again, this is not my story, but it feels like up until a few years ago, especially, you know, with closed adoptions and everything, there has been, there had been little research about trauma and the prevailing idea was, well, if you received your child, you know, a few months later or a couple years later in the foster system, then that makes sense for trauma. But the research now is showing us that it starts in utero and that you can receive your baby two days after they're born and there is still trauma associated with it. And talk a little bit about what you've learned about navigating that. Sure. That's something that I didn't expect when we, when we took in foster teens, I was like, okay, well that was hard and there's trauma there. That makes sense. But so I was like, well, let's just start from the beginning with some babies. Yes. <laughs> that will be less <laughs> no more trauma. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yet when my kids, as they've grown, you know, initially they're just babies. I, but I will say with my daughter, she had, she had some real struggles from the very, from day one. I could sense it in her that she was really fighting, attaching to me. And that was so hard. And it's hard when you're on the receiving end of that fight to try to be willing to attach, you know, or have a desire to attach. And so that has been a journey that we continue to be on. And yet I didn't see the effects of their trauma until, you know, they were probably three or four when they start developing as children and you start seeing things that are what typical children, how they develop and how then my kids are developing. And it's really hard to sit and not compare and all of that. And yet I was so thankful that I was willing to admit that there may be some trauma here so that we could get help, whether it was through a psychologist or an occupational therapist or a social worker, wherever we could get help, we sought out those places to get our kids the services that they need. And we continue to do that. They continue to need things that that we can't just provide as mom and dad that we look on the outside for. And there is, there's even grief associated with that because all the dreams that you have for your child, and I will say as adoptive parents, you have different dreams than perhaps biological parents because you're not just transferring your ideas of what your sports life would be like or whatever. Um, but so it's a little bit different, but there's still grief associated with oh, I didn't know we would have to deal with that. 
or I didn't know that that would be an issue or that would be something that we would have to journey through or overcome together. And so that that's hard and that's a continual grief. And then I have these beautiful moments where my son Elijah was in um, first grade. He's in fourth grade now. He was in first grade and he went, he was having show and tell at school. And of course he didn't remember that it was show and tell until he was actually leaving the house that day. And he's <laughs> like, Oh mom, I need to get. And so he goes up and he gets a picture of our family. He gets his favorite book at the time, which was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And he gets, you know, he needs one more thing. And I said, what about a picture of your birth family? And he's like, okay, well then I'm start, I start freaking out because I think I've just set him up to talk about his birth family in front of his class that he doesn't necessarily want to do that. Well, on the way to school, I'm thinking, okay, we can recover this. And I said, you know, you and Harry Potter have something in common because you were both adopted. Now, Harry Potter's family was adopted family is kind of crummy, <laughs> yeah, but we're better. <laughs> you know, hopefully, hopefully that's not the same, but he was able to stand in front of his class and share. And I warned his teacher about it all. And, you know, as he shared the kids get to ask questions. And one of the kids said, well, do you ever get to see your real mom? And he said, well, I live with my real mom, but I get to see my birth mom when I travel to South Carolina every summer. And that was powerful. And then another kid said, well, what is special? Because the kids are supposed to say, what is special about, you know, whatever the kids bring. And they said, what is special about your birth mom? And he said, well, my birth mom is special because she chose my real family. Mm. And for him as a first grader to be able to get that and communicate that, knowing the whole story, knowing that there's trauma, knowing that there's loss, like that was really powerful for me. And I wasn't in the room. So he wasn't telling it to me. He was telling it to his peers, you know? So that those are the beautiful moments that we can hang our hat on in a sense. And yet, even in those answers, there's still tension and grief and loss and hard stuff. Yeah. So what would you say you've learned <clears throat> about the Lord in the middle of this adoption process and, and just your parenting from now on? Yeah, God has been really faithful, I will say. I believe even when we had the foster teens up through the process of having our adopted kids now, I've learned a lot about God's unconditional love for me and his grace for me, that even when I have a rebellious spirit, even when I am fighting him, uh, resisting him in my life, he continues to love me and pursue me and continues to shower grace and mercy on me when I don't deserve it at all. And that's what God is teaching me. That's the model that I believe he's demonstrated to me. And yet somehow I have to, I want to, I should say, implement that with my kids and continue to be so gracious and merciful and unconditionally love them no matter what resistance they're giving or no matter how hard they're fighting against that or what fears are coming in between us and the the love that they want to give. So it's God has modeled out what it what I should be, what I want to do as a parent, you know? I think that's true for all parents, right? But when adoption is your story, it makes parenting 
I would say a couple steps harder, <laughs> you know, um, sometimes. And so desiring to be the same gracious, loving parent that God is to me, um, to my kids is probably what I'd say God's been teaching me. Mm. How have you grown in your marriage through this whole process? I'm sure there's been some hard moments. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I will say that, you know, Aaron is the only other person who intimately knows what I'm experiencing as a parent. He's the only other person that can fully know what life is like in our home, the good and the hard. And so in that way, it has brought about a common ground for us that when marriage has been hard in the past, we have neglected to find that common ground sometimes. And I think that over the cer certainly over the last five years, we have been able to find that common ground in how either awesome our kids are or how hard they are and walking through it together instead of having that be tension between us. And that to me has brought about definitely a closer relationship with him. And the fact that we prioritize our marriage, we prioritize our relationship and we have a date night every week, every Monday night, we go on date night and we don't let anybody or anything get in the way of that. Um, and if travel happens, then we reschedule it for another night because it's so important for us to connect, to relate to each other so that we can love each other and love our kids well. Mm -hmm. That's really good. So um, for someone who's in this kind of a journey, what kind of advice would you give to someone that's kind of maybe even starting the adoption journey? Well, for somebody who's starting the adoption journey, um, I can give you a long list of things that I would tell you to read or do, and yet it still wouldn't fully prepare you for it. <laughs> uh, but I still would say you need to read it and you need to do those things. Um, and and I would say that you don't know what kind of roller coaster ride you're going to experience. And I think we often feel like blessings only come in the form of good things or things that we want. And yet, you know, I've heard it said before that blessings are, are like roller coasters. And yet, roller coasters are so much more fun when they're going down that maybe the hard things that we experience in life, especially when it comes to adoption and the trauma that comes with that, those could be God's blessings to you to shape you and form you more into who God desires you to be. And so embrace the hard stuff. Embrace those moments when you're on your knees crying out to God because you don't have anywhere else to go, because those could be God's way, God's blessings to you that don't look like what the world would say is a blessing. I, I so agree. And we, we have become a culture that avoids pain at any cost, but we forget that pain and typically pain comes through relationships. Those are the things that actually sanctify us and mold us. Absolutely. So this can be like an amazing sanctification journey if you let it be. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. Probably don't want to be yeah. sanctified that much, but uh, no, <laughs> it can happen. So looking back over the past 365 days, how has God restoried you? You know, th this year has been particularly hard for a lot of different reasons. And I feel like God continues to push me towards faithfulness, remaining faithful to him, remaining faithful to 
um, his word, remaining faithful to who he's called me to be and not try to run from that and remaining faithful to, to my kids and who I have promised them when I've brought them into our home that I would be to them. And yeah, so faithfulness in terms of being faithful in all the ways that um, he has called me. Absolutely. It's good that fidelity or that faithfulness is so important. And it's again, it's not another trait that we find in abundance in our society. (laughs) A lot of broken promises out there. So I appreciate that lesson. And I'm sure it'll continue to be a lesson for all of us. So Amy, (laughs) thank you so much for being on the Restory Show this week. I really appreciate it. And thank you for sharing your heart, for being honest. I know that that's a risk. And so I just want to thank you for that. And thank you for being willing to even share some of the harder parts, which uh, we all need to hear because it helps us to know that we're all in the same boat together. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord, thank you for Amy's story. Thank you for the beauty of adoption and what it shows us. And I'm thank I'm so thankful that we're adopted into your family, that we were without you orphans and with you children. And we are your beloved children. And thank you for the picture of adoption. But Lord, we also pray, I pray right now for those adoptive families who are experiencing PTSD and grief on every side. And the road is not easy and it seems to be longer and longer and longer. But Lord, would you just infuse your grace and your light in those situations? And Lord, we do pray for those children around the nation and the world who are longing for a home. And we pray, Father, that you would stir your people to adopt. You would stir your people to have, uh, to help adopt or to provide services or financial resources to help others adopt. Lord, we don't want to see orphans in this world. And you've, you've mandated to us that we are to care for the widow and the orphan. So, Lord, in our own neighborhoods, in our own churches, help us to have eyes to see the, the widows and the orphans among us. Thank you for adopting us into your great big family and help us to love your great big family with zealousness and with joy. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like more information about today's show, head on over to marydemuth.com forward slash four dash 10. And may you live a brand new story this week.